Hey, welcome to another edition of Retire Smarter. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Tyler Emmerich today, Wealth Advisor, Certified Financial Planner at True Wealth Design, serving you in Northeast Ohio, Southwest Florida, and the greater Pittsburgh area. Offices in all those locations, but of course online from anywhere at truewealthdesign.com. And it is great to be with you this week. Tyler, how is your uh, month going so far? It's going all right. Well, thank you for asking. I'm happy to be in the office. We um, we had a windstorm come through over the weekend and knock out power. So I didn't have power for 48 hours at my oh, house. Oh, wow. <laughs> so one of those pleasant times you're happy to leave the house and go to work because you just get that, you get that yeah. civilization again. That's right. Um, well, and we, we have well water uh, where we're at. So um, my pump wasn't working. So we didn't even have running water for a couple of days. So um, yeah, we had to go to friend's house oh, and take man. showers and, uh, you know, get kind of cleaned up and ready for the work week here. But slightly uh, problematic. Yeah. So yeah, sitting in the office, looking up at the lighting going, wow, electricity is pretty nice to have. <laughs> yes. One of those things you take for granted until it's taken away from you. Then you realize <laughs> yeah, just how right. great it is. Uh, growing but, uh, up in North, North yeah. Carolina, I had my share of ice storms where we'd mm-hmm. have power knocked out for a whole week or two weeks even at times. And, you know, it was always fun mm-hmm. as a kid kind of because it always meant like, you know, the parents were scrambling to try and find a hotel that still had a vacancy. And then we'd, you know, oh, we had to go stay in a hotel. This is so yeah. fun. <laughs> no school, right? Yeah, yeah. no school. <laughs> School's canceled. It's great. It's always good stuff. Although ice yeah. storms were never as fun to have school canceled as the snowstorms because you don't really go out and do anything in an ice storm. You know, it's just sort of like... Okay, it's knocks yeah, out no, power, but then you don't have the lingering snow to go play in, really. But. Yeah, fair enough. Well, this weekend was pretty nice where we're at in here in Northeast Ohio. We had finally getting the weather up into the 60s. So nice. that was one thing we didn't have to contend with and certainly got us out of the house over the weekend, which was good. But Very good. Well, flip it to a positive, right? I'm glad to hear that. Yes, uh, definitely. Uh, you know, when uh, when those taxes are getting filed and, and done with, Tyler, you know, it's time to also get outside a little bit more. So That's true. That's true. A little bit of the silver lining of having to get through tax day for many of us, I would suppose. Uh, well, hopefully our listeners are getting out there and uh, being a little bit more active if they're listening to this uh, shortly after release of the show. And uh, we're glad that you're with us for today's episode. We're going to be talking about wrong assumptions people make when planning for retirement. And uh, I'll never forget, I had an assignment when I was younger, Tyler, where I had to, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we we had to do this experiment. And I wasn't really good at the science part of school. It was always my weakest (laughs) subject was science. I just wasn't good at doing experiments and, you know, just following Mm -hmm. the scientific method and those kinds of things. I, I excelled in all the other areas of school, but science was always just one where I still got good grades, but just definitely wasn't my strongest. And I'll never forget, I had mm-hmm. this this teacher who was Australian, and uh, he'd given us this assignment, and, and my experiment had failed so badly. So then the next day when he asked us, you know, what what the takeaways from the experiment were, I gave an answer. And he said, why do you get, why do you say that? And I was like, well, I just assume that it has, it was something to do with, like, I assume that caffeine stunted the plant's growth. I remember that being the crux <laughs> of it. And then he just like okay. had this smirk on his face. He was like, come here on, and write up on the board, Walter. I was like, okay. So I walk up there in front of the whole class. He says, I want you to write the word assume. And I write the word assume up on the board. And he's like, do you know what happens when you assume things, Walter? And again, in front of the whole class, right? I'm uh-huh. like, nope. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you make a, and then he underlines the first three letters out of the next letter. And it, you and, you know, me, the last oh, two man. letters. <laughs> And so that? I'm just like mortified up there. And he's just like, go sit yes. down. Wrong answer. Oh, wow. Talk about a tough class. Good teacher though, right? Tough he, class. He was tough. He was tough. He mm-hmm. once came back from like doing our Scantron sheets. 
and he's at right after a test. He walked back in the room and he said, "Do you all know Mister? I don't know the guy's name. You know, Mister mm-hmm. Bob or who, whatever. <laughs> you know, he he served in the war and uh, he just had flashbacks when I ran your Scantron machines. There were so many errors it sounded like machine gun oh. fire in the office." So. <laughs> So hey, you learned. He, a, hey, at least he you was great at putting us down. I'll say that. So. Oh no, well, it's, I mean, hey, great segue. I'll tell you, it's a pretty good story for what we're heading into because obviously <laughs> assumptions, right? Um, and don't want to be making them. Um, they get us in trouble is what I learned <laughs> early in life, and so here it pops up again many years later as we talk about planning mm-hmm. for retirement. So I'm I'm well tuned in to today's show, Tyler. Sure, th- no, definitely. And you know, as you think about uh, you know the listeners are out there, and if you're if they're thinking, hey. I'm, you know, I'm to that point, right? I'm ready to put pen to paper. I want to find out if I can retire and, you know, do I have enough? You know, normally what that next step is after you start thinking that way is, well, I got to create some type of financial plan. And of course, financial plans can be very complex, but if we peel back the onion a bit and really get down to its most basic form, well, a financial plan, you're you're taking your assets or an inventory of your assets. You're going to plot that against your spending. You're going to make some assumptions, and then you're going to project it out over the next 25, 30 years and say, hey, do, do I have enough? And one of the most important things as we kind of go through an exercise like that are those actual assumptions uh, that, we're, that we're making. Um, and when we start projecting out over a very long time horizon, those assumptions can really compound um, and have a dramatic effect on side of those plans. So that's what we're going to focus on today. And we really want to just go through and highlight you know, a few of the um, assumptions that I've heard over the years, or as we've talked to families that uh, come up uh, most frequently, and how we address them and handle them and maybe look at them through a different lens. Uh, I'm and just music we, to my ears. I'm not the only one is mm-hmm. what I'm hearing. No, not not at all. And the first one would be the perception that the stock market is the most significant risk to your retirement. And you know, comments such as, you know, I'm getting close to retirement. I'm too close to in, uh, to retirement to invest in stocks. I don't have enough time to recoup those losses. Um, does that sound familiar, Walt? Um, yeah, just a little bit. Absolutely. And you, you think about it, and I, I can kind of see where they're coming from. You know, if you look back. Through historical market performance, um, let's just say we use the S and P 500 as a proxy for the market in general, and we go back over, say, the last 50 years or so. So, the worst rolling one-year return um, in the S and P 500 was in actually ended in March of 2009. Any idea on how much the market dropped over that one-year period? In 2009, I mean, we were uh, close to 50 percent, right? Pretty darn close. Yeah. 43 uh, is the number that we have. Yeah. And you compare that to some alternatives like cash um, or maybe short term T bills. Um, You're not looking at any uh, negatives like that. Right. Of course. But when we start looking at it from the standpoint of one year, or excuse me, like we just did, there's a lot of volatility there, uh, and rightfully so. The stock market is you know, very volatile. Um, but when we start expanding out our time period a little bit further and really kind of match it up with maybe what retirement might look like, we're hoping to have a long, healthy retirement, you know, say 20, 30 years. So if we look at those same return numbers and say the S&P 500, and we look at the worst rolling 20-year time period going back over, say, 50 years, believe it or not, that actually was a time period that ended in March of 2020. 
And the average annual return on the S&P 500 was about 5% per year. Um, so much, much lower than, say, the historical average return of the S&P 500, which is closer to, say, 10%, but nowhere near being negative on an annual basis. And in fact, while there's been no 20-year period as we go back through historical stock market performance of the S&P 500, where we have uh, negative returns over that long of a time period. We could actually shrink it down to, say, 15 years, and the worst 15-year period is just over 3.5%. Interesting. Okay. So stock so a lot of a threat, but not necessarily the biggest threat, as is what the assumption usually is. Sure. Well, and, and really framing it in the standpoint of um, not getting caught up in that short-term volatility and really matching up saying, hey, I've got a long-term problem here that I got to solve and the idea of having enough to for to retire um, and really framing it that way and picking your investments uh, in that manner. And to maybe drill down on it a little bit more, let's kind of compare that stock performance we talked about to some alternatives, say bonds, for example. And if we look at like the worst 20-year performance uh, in the bond market, JP Morgan did a study on this, and it was uh, right around 1% was the average annual return in the bond market over a 20-year time period. That was the worst 20-year time period uh, going back over 50 years. So we compare the two, right? Stocks were sitting at about 5% and bonds were sitting at 1%. Uh, so that's a 4% differential there, which might not seem like a lot. Um, but when we actually get down into, well, how does that impact the numbers? You know, if we took someone uh, that had $100,000 and they wanted to invest and we fast forwarded 20 years and they average 1% return per year, you know, they're looking at about $120,000 at the end of that 20 year time period. On the flip side, um, if we would have been invested all in stocks at 5% return per year, uh, that time period, they would have had around 260,000. So 260,000 stocks on average, worst 20 year time period, 120,000 all investing in bonds, averaging 1% per year in its worst 20-year time period. So we're looking at about $140,000 differential when we actually start expanding out those time horizons. So the old ad, yeah, well, the old adage is, is it's time, not timing. That's what matters, right? So mm -hmm. time in the market, not timing the market. And I think this goes without saying, but it is our podcast, right? Uh, well, so I guess I can say whatever. Start but whatever you want. I, go for it. You got it. I, but I don't There's want no bleep it, button, Tyler. <laughs> there is not. Um, there, I, I don't want individuals listening to say, "Hey, Tyler's saying we should 100% be invested in stocks." That's not the case. What I really would like you to gather from that data is saying, "Hey, stocks should be a, a piece of the pie, um, a part of a diversified portfolio, because they do serve a purpose." In the short term, yes, you're going to experience some volatility. But as we expand out our time horizon, you're going to get um, much needed diversification and return paid off if we look at historical market performance. Okay, very good. So that's our yeah. first assumption on the list. What else do we have? So moving on to number two, um, I think it goes hand in hand, kind of building off of what we talked about and having a diversified portfolio and having stocks be a piece of the pie is, uh, you know, families ignoring inflation uh, in their retirement plan projections. Now, from an investment standpoint, how this shows up is when we look at if we go on the flip side and we're so afraid to invest in stocks and have a diversified portfolio, and we put all our money in cash like interest bearing type investments. What happens is, is it becomes an issue to try to keep pace with inflation. To reiterate that a bit, um, if we go back over 
uh, say all the way back to the 1980s, and we break it down into decades. So we look at the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, 2010s, and what were a few years here into the 2020s. And if we plot the average six-month CD return over those decades against CPI numbers, which I'm sure inflation's been in the news quite a bit over, say, the last couple of years here. CPI is probably something many of the listeners have run into. That's a proxy for inflation. Uh, there's a few different components that go into CPI numbers, of course. Um, but if we, we plot those against what you can get in cash-like investments from a return standpoint, how many of the decades, going back to the 80s, Walt, do you think that cash outperformed in CPI? Or basically, you got more return on your cash than what the cost of living went up as? Ooh, uh, I would say very few decades yeah. would Oh, be one actually just yeah. one okay yeah. which one yeah the 1980s oh, okay. um, so in the 80s when we look back through the data um you did get more interest on your cash than what cpi was at but every other decade there was some component of cpi that was actually higher um than what you could average on a six-month cd or again cash like investments and we even see that today with interest rates going up and we're getting a little bit higher return on our cash investments. We still compare that to the most recent CPI numbers. And very rarely do you find yourself in a situation where those investments are going to return more um, than what, how fast the cost of living is going up. So I think looking at or ignoring inflation when you're building your portfolio and doing those allocations um, is a big misstep. But then there's also, if we kind of change their viewpoint a bit and look at it from an actual planning standpoint, uh, and I go back to that example where, hey, in our most basic form in a financial plan, we're just kind of plotting out, say, the next 30 years. Well, what happens is, is if you, we need to make sure that we're accounting for inflation into those numbers. You know, I had over the years, a number of individuals come to me and say, hey, Tyler, when when I look at this projection on a year-by-year -year basis inside of our financial plan, and I go out into my 80s, why are my spending numbers so much higher than where they are today? Um, and the simple answer for a lot of that is going to go back to, well, that's the impact that inflation has on increasing your spending over the years. And it's very, very pronounced when you start looking 20 and 30 years down the road. But Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Oh, and even more so too, well, when we look at it from the standpoint of, yes, we want to make sure that we account for inflation when we look at our spending, but also the interplay between your income sources and your spending and what assumptions that you're making there to account for inflation. That's also going to have a major impact on your plan results and what the financial plan looks like. Do you have your income sources inflating at the same number as your expenses, or is there a lag there? Um, and that will impact again and have a major, a much more pronounced impact as you start looking further and further down the road. One of the big ones to consider is like Social Security, for example. It's a very nice income source that many people have access to that is actually tied to cost of living. We've done a number of podcasts in the past on Social Security and talk about the cost of living adjustments. Obviously, a lot of the listeners seen the nice jump that we got this year in Social Security. That's nice that it is tied to inflation, but are all of your income sources tied to inflation, your pensions, and how is those inflation numbers accounted for inside your plan is something I think that a lot of times can be misrepresented or forgot about as we're starting to do our projections and financial plans. Okay, very good. So, mm -hmm. so far we're covering stock market assumptions, then mm -hmm. inflation and cash. Where else do you see assumptions popping up uh, when yeah. people plan for retirement? 
I think the next logical place to look is going to be spending. And when I have preliminary conversations, when families come in and meet with me, we spend a lot of time on spending um, and where their money is going and how that spending might change. I think a lot of individuals, when we come in and we start to have those conversations, their initial thoughts were, hey, this is how much I need to cover my lifestyle now. And well, the simple assumption would be is, well, I'm going to have to cover that all the way through my retirement. And frankly, that studies show that that's just not the case. Um, you've heard myself talk about it uh, in the past. I think Kevin's mentioned it quite a bit as well on previous podcasts where we talk about that retirement smile and spending of retirees and how when we look at that data, you know, typically early in retirement, we see um, retiree spending slowly ratchet down. Uh, as they progress throughout retirement, kind of bottoming uh, into their mid-80s, and then we see it start to ratchet up again, almost forming a smile. I mean, Kevin actually went and interviewed David Blanchett um, and went through it, and he was the individual that kind of coined that phrase and did a lot of studies on uh, retiree spending, and that's where we got a lot of that from. So go back and check out those episodes. I think it was 102 and 103. Um, so we feel one, like- one, 101 and 102. You're 101 right. and 102. You're almost Thanks there. Thanks for the correction yeah. there. You're yeah. Almost. Um, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll link to those in the description of the show so it's easy for people to find too. But yeah, 101 and 102. Uh, great interviews. Those were cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you get some insight into there. Now, of course, you got to take that information and apply it to your specific situation. Um, but it's really good to formulate your plans on some of that data and make sure that, hey, is your plan showing the same thing? And if not, why? And, and is it applicable in your situation? And how can we properly account for it? Um, because I would say spending is one of the major areas that we focus on when we're building the plan and want to really make sure that we get right. You know, obviously we want to check and verify uh, some of those things because they have such a major impact uh, on the results as we start doing these Monte Carlo simulations and start projecting out year by year what retirement looks like. Um, so we talked about stocks and stock exposure. We talked a little bit about inflation, obviously hit on spending. Uh, the fourth assumption that I wanted to spend a little bit time touching on would be not accounting for income changes in retirement. Uh, so what do I mean there? For example, I sat down with a couple, actually I've known for a couple of years now, um, they came back in uh, just a few months ago, um, and they're really looking to retire early, actually in their mid-50s. Not a bad gig if you can do it, right? Well, we'll take it. Yeah, I met a guy no, this absolutely. last weekend who retired in his thirties, and then uh, now he he just like does kayak guiding trips in quote unquote retirement. <laughs> I was like, doing what he enjoys and loves. That's right? pretty awesome. <laughs> oh no, absolutely! If you can do it, right? Get to the point to where you can spend the time that you want. Not quite thirties, but like I said, they were looking at their mid fifties. Still pretty um, good. Yeah. Sure. And well, and anytime you want to retire that early, it does pose some challenges and some things that you need to plan for. And one of the major ones would be healthcare. Like, where are you going to get your healthcare from? You don't get Medicare until 65. Um, so you kind of have this gap that you need to fill. Well, they are in a good situation to where he, he's been at a company for a number of years and actually has access to their retiree medical uh, plan. So their med employer provides medical for any individual pre-65. So that is a big expense that they do not have to necessarily account for inside of their base plan, right? I kind of think of it as income because they're getting free income from their employer to cover their healthcare premiums. Now the question becomes is, what would happen if something changes with that employer to where they no longer are offering those benefits? And what would happen if that 
literally happens within the next couple of years, and they have almost 10 years that they're going to need to cover individual health care on their own. That's a major expense that where if we don't account for it properly, or excuse me, loss of income, an expense in turn that they're going to have to cover, that if we don't run a, a test scenario, we call them actually what if scenarios, uh, and say, well, what does your plan look like under the that circumstance, um, you know, that's impactful information for them to know to help them wrap their arms around. Like, hey, can we actually pull the trigger or not? And as yeah, I think it sounds about like that, a big deal. I think you, I mean those two things back to back: spending and then income changes in retirement certainly go hand in hand, right? When you, you kind of need to know one to know the other's impact on on your life. And so, if you're making wrong assumptions in both categories, you're in big trouble. No, absolutely. Well, and you think about it from the standpoint of like okay, if you don't have access to a retiree medical, which the vast majority of us probably won't, well, anybody who's married and has a spouse at some point in time, the likelihood is, well, you're going to experience where your spouse passes and you are going to lose likely a source of income. I mean, the biggest one would be social security. Uh, you wouldn't be able to draw two social security benefits if you lose your spouse. So the question becomes is, if something happens to one of your, uh, your spouse early in retirement um, and you lose that source of income from social security, well, that's going to change your tax bracket potentially uh, That because you're going to be going from married filing jointly down to single. You're going to lose a social security payment. If there's pension plans, depending on how you made your pension plan election, that could be adjusted as well. So just really thinking through and rerunning those scenarios or what ifs to really wrap your arms around, would I be okay? Um, I think goes a long way um, and would really help prevent a bad situation should one of these things come up and you have a, a change that really impacts whether it be income or spending. So we've got stock market, inflation, mm -hmm. and cash, spending, income changes, all these areas where we're making wrong assumptions. That That's a lot of corners of the financial world. Where, uh, where else do we need to go? Yeah, one more. Um, okay. And the last one, I got to keep it pretty soft. So no data on this one, no numbers or historical okay. performance. It's more so back to your story in the kayaker. Um, it's, you know, will you love not having a job? And really, that's the more personal side and where you're going to spend your time. Um, I think maybe more so than, than most, this is important to us and something that we spend time talking with all our families on. And really just, you know, kind of honing in and saying, hey, what what do you want to do in retirement? Um, and really checking in uh, on a year in and year out basis and saying, what's changed? What are you enjoying? What's, what, what are you not? Um, and how can you get the most out of not only your money, but just your life in general um, as you're kind of approaching and trying to tackle retirement? Your story, albeit a little bit early, um, I think kind of hits it to a T um, as you start thinking about how you want to spend your time in retirement. Admittedly, he was also <laughs> looking for jobs while we were chatting, so it was, was it? more of a temporary retirement, but nonetheless, still pretty cool to be able to have that flexibility and be thinking about those things and have just that, that lever of control, right, of, I want to work, I don't want to work. This is what brings mm -hmm. me, me joy and happiness, and, uh, and, and I can manage and craft this in a way that I like to. It doesn't really matter at what age you're talking about at that point, right? It, it, it's all that same calculus that you're doing. So it is, cool. it is, but very important. Um, and I think it's uh, some of the more enjoyable conversations that I know that I have uh, with the families that I work with. And is that where you're uncovering these assumptions, Tyler? It's it's when you sit down with a client, is this, is this like in the first meeting with maybe a couple or an individual who comes in to meet with you, you're starting to already uncover some of these wrong assumptions? Or does this happen a little bit deeper in the planning process? No, I think it, I think it does happen all throughout. But uh, I, certainly when we start 
first start working with an individual or a family, um, we definitely want to understand, well, what are their biases? What what makes them tick? What are they trying to accomplish? Um, and really what's important to them? Um, and then spending a lot of time talking through them. And then in the back of my mind, I'm always using those that information uh, to kind of plot and say, well, where are we going to have to spend a, maybe a little bit more time with the assumptions that we make in our plan and how it applies to their situation? Um, so if we have an individual that's very concerned about stock market risk and volatility, we want to make sure that we get a portfolio that not only meets what the plan needs, but also meets what they're looking for from an emotional standpoint and expectation standpoint. So if I'm talking to someone and they're bringing up some of those initial concerns around, hey, I'm in a retirement, I'm going to be retiring in the next year or so, I don't want to take on stock market risk, I want to be much more conservative. Um, I think that's very great, but then we need to necessarily unpack that a little bit more. So that'll be a note that either on that meeting or maybe future meetings, we make sure we spend plenty of time getting down to the root of what are we trying to accomplish go through the pros and cons of each and really make sure that the family has all the information that they need to help make the best decision from for them, uh, whatever that might be. Um, but no, I, I think it's all throughout, but certainly at the beginning, it's, it is pretty hot and heavy because there are a lot, a lot of assumptions that go into building out a plan. Um, and some we spend more time on than others, but I think it's important if you are working with a financial advisor and if you haven't had a conversation with them on, hey, how are you accounting for inflation? What number are you using? What are you, are you assuming my social security is going inflate at. Um, it, questions like that are, are good ones to have uh, to make you feel even that much more confident and comfortable with the projection. Because at the end of the day, if you sit down with a planner, Walt, and you're, you're just trying to figure out, hey, can I retire? Um, there's more that goes into it. We just need to give you enough information to get you to the point to where you feel comfortable with it. And for some individuals, they really like getting down into the nitty gritty. Um, some maybe not so much, but I think there's a baseline of understanding as you're working with your financial advisor to understand, well, how are we doing it in this plan and do I feel comfortable with it? Very good. Uh, love it all, Tyler. Last question for you then. When you uncover these assumptions with your clients, do you make them come up to the board and write out, <laughs> assume, and make them feel really bad, or do you handle it a little bit more tactfully? No, hopefully a little bit more tactfully. <laughs> I'll have it in my back pocket, though, in case we got to whip it out. Um, Just in case, yeah. Boy, yeah. Uh, there might be a no. client who you're like, I think they'd benefit from this lesson. Boom. <laughs> or at least get a chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Let's get a chuckle. Save, save it for the right person, I suppose. Right. Uh, no, uh, all, all kidding aside, uh, that's fantastic. And it's so great, too. Even though it was very harsh, it was nice to at mm -hmm. least get that, uh, that feedback from that teacher growing up and, and say, all right, yeah, I better be careful assuming me or else I'm going to get embarrassed in front of the whole classroom. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's a lesson that sticks with you for many, many years. It is. If I went back and listed out my favorite teachers from the past, they're probably the ones that were the hardest on me. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, I don't he, know if people look at their financial He definitely would not be in my way. favorites list, but that's <laughs> not because of that particular incident, more just as a whole. But, uh, but yes, I know what you're saying. The ones who demand a lot mm -hmm. of you, for sure, still stand out above the rest. So I do. That, uh, that's very cool. Another conversation and lessons for another day. But hey, if you want mm -hmm. to find out if you are making any wrong assumptions when it comes to planning for retirement, you can do that by going through the planning process 
with the team at True Wealth Design. Not only will they uncover those wrong assumptions, but really put you through the entire planning process to make sure you're ready to get to and through retirement all the way. And if you'd like to schedule an initial consultation and conversation just to see if you're a good fit for the team, you can go to truewealthdesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button to schedule a 15-minute call. So again, just go to truewealthdesign.com or visit the link in the description of today's show and click the Are We Right For You button. You can also call the number 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-TWD-PLAN. And you can get in touch through uh, the phone as well. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for all your help on the show today. Enjoyed this one. And uh, thanks for not making me write up on the board uh, about assumptions here. And uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again next episode. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thanks. We'll have a good topic cooked up next time, folks. So come back and join Mm -hmm. us right here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.